All right, good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning, good morning. It's cold outside, but it's hot in here, all right? So uh, if you're new, please go ahead and fill out that Connect card. It's on your seat. Or if you haven't done that yet, we would love just to connect with you. You can give that uh, at the welcome table on your way out. And we will give you a gift, and we want to help you in your spiritual journey. There's been so many times, and I'm going to start to have people share testimonies about this to encourage you. Uh, you know, when people are generally afraid to put themselves out there, which is a very normal feeling, uh, and then they do, or then the Lord makes them, and then they get involved and engaged, and then everything begins to change about their lives. And so I want to encourage you that you were made to be super, super connected and involved with the people of God, with the family of God. That's how you are designed to function at your best. And if you are not involved uh, in a family of God, which there are many wonderful around this area, but if you are not involved, we would love to help you do that. That's exactly what you were made for, and you will never, never, never find uh, basically the, the max fulfillment of who you were meant to be by yourself. That is impossible. God did not allow that or make it that way. But we need each other so desperately. Uh, we are a body. And so I just want to encourage you both practically and spiritually uh, to get involved, to get plugged in, uh, not just for our sake, uh, but for your sake. So uh, we're going to continue to press into what God has been teaching us over these last few weeks uh, with this idea of following through. What we talked about last week uh, is that when you hit the ball, that's important, but your follow through matters just as much. And so what you do after you hit the ball determines where the ball goes. And so we've been talking about last week, and then today we're going to talk some more about things as a body we need to follow through with. And so this is very much um, a moment which the Lord is teaching us something pastorally. I feel like we need to step into this place uh, and kind of walk us through biblically what the Lord seems to be doing experientially so that we can root ourselves in God's word. And so last week we discussed five truths we need to follow through with so that we can continue to see the Lord work in mighty ways. Today we're going to talk about three more. Uh, and I want to reiterate as we open up the Bible... Um, Hey, okay, wait, that was great. I wasn't even ready for it. I wasn't ready for it. You were ready. You can lead the way. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the text, and then you, then you scream as loud as you want, all right? But I love the excitement. I love it. I love it, all right? That's great. That's great. So I, I want to reiterate as we open up the Bible. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, wait. Let's get this out of the way so then we're not confused, okay? Go ahead and open your Bible to John chapter 4. Let's go. There we go. All right, all right, all right. Listen, the eagerness is wonderful, though. I, that encourages my little pastoral heart. Uh, open your Bible to John 4. And uh, I want to reiterate as we talk about worship that we are doing our very best to let the Bible define it and not our preferences or our culture. Because we all bring different things to the table. We have different personalities. We have different religious traditions. We have different ways that we like to do things. Uh, this is all true, and a lot of that matters. And different places will express themselves in various ways according to culture, and that's not all the way bad. It's totally good to bring your uh, background and upbringing into these things. But what it needs to be is refined by the Bible and then also built upon the Bible. 
So I, what does the Bible say about how I engage with God? And that's the base. And then upon that, I can use some other things about like how, you know, how I just naturally am wired, what, I, what I'm encouraged to do, that the Bible gives me freedom to do. Uh, but we want to build the base with the Bible, and we also want to refine it with the Bible. So as you engage with the Lord, you have a strong base, uh, and then you're learning how the Lord is refining and doing different things. And often, as we talked about last week, what one of you needs, the other one needs the opposite, right? So some of y'all need to really get more engaged. You need to express yourself with the Lord. You look bored with God, and that's not, that's not acceptable to the Lord. And some of y'all are just wiling out all the time, and you need to reflect and be calm before the Lord and, and listen to him. Be still enough to listen to him, uh, and amongst a million other things. And so uh, the Lord is refining based off the word of God, and he might be refining us each differently, uh, but towards the same goal, which is to have true worship happening both in this body of Christ here, but also throughout the week in your regular life. And so we're going to continue to look at the word of God to see what God has said about how we should do this and then build everything off of that. I also just want to encourage you, I feel like these are things that uh, you normally wouldn't hear about, but I would want you to. So this last weekend, the staff went on a staff retreat, and so we took a few days um, just to be together, to be encouraged, um, to think about what the Lord is doing and the life of this church. And I just want to say, I want you to know at the very least uh, that the staff and the team and the leadership is very united, very united, uh, that we actually like each other, which is wonderful. Um, you know, we stayed up way too late because, you know, even if you go to bed at two, your kids still get up at six, okay? It doesn't matter what time you go to bed, the kids still get up. And so uh, the staff is very united. We're also very tired, all right? So uh, we took our whole families, kids and all spouses, uh, and it was just an amazing time. So I just want you to know um, a little inside look into that, that I was encouraged uh, that you, uh, as a part of City Light, have a wonderful team leading you, wonderful, godly, good, Christ-honoring, humble people, uh, and that the team really is united on what God is doing. And so this is a real blessing, uh, a real blessing, because that's not always the case. And so I just want to put that before you. I hope that encourages you uh, about kind of the church you're a part of and some of the things the leadership has been doing. Uh, I know my heart was encouraged, and I hope yours is as well. And so we'll continue to press into that. So John chapter 4, let's read. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read all the way to 26 to get context, but we're going to spend the entire time on the last four verses. But I want you to have context. Uh, so John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, being very exposed now in this moment, she changes the subject. And this is, we're all good at this, okay? The Lord's like, I want to talk to you about this. You're like, how about that ice cream yesterday? You know, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know which is true of many of you in this room right now and watching online, and the Lord's going to inform you today. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all of these things. And mic drop, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so the Lord here is teaching us about worship, and he uses these two important words in this phrase, spirit and truth. So if we are going to worship God, both as we gather together corporately and as you worship him individually and as you worship him with the way that you live your life. Remember, worship is not singing. That's a part of worship. Worship is everything. It's everything that you do unto the Lord. Your whole life is an act of worship or not, you know. We must worship in spirit and in truth. And so these are the two words that we're going to be able to uh, use to say this is what the Lord says about worship. And so I'm going to give you three particular aspects that kind of help flesh that out. The first is this. Worship starts in the heart. Worship starts in the heart. And the reason why this context is so important, because I'm just going to, this is a huge summary. You could preach a whole sermon on the water thing, and I'm not doing that right now. Uh, but what happens is she's thirsty. Jesus offers her water, but what he's offering her is not physical water, but spiritual water to satisfy the deepest longings of her soul. He brings that up by, by bringing up a particular aspect of her life that she's been going from person to person trying to satisfy her soul and trying to find belonging, peace, purpose, love, and that hasn't been working out. And so she's thirsty for all sorts of things, and she really needs something only God can give. And so Jesus exposes the need of her heart. He reveals to her the way she is trying to fill that need. And then he offers her something better, more sustainable, and actually something more satisfying. When he reveals that the living water in verse 13 is himself as the Christ in verse 26, the woman immediately responds in worship. Her act of worship is something that has happened in her heart as a response to being satisfied in Christ, to having her real needs met by a real Savior. It's a response from the heart of realizing what it means to be loved unconditionally. 
Worship starts in the heart because that is exactly where God begins to work. She needed living water, and so do you and I. She needed salvation, and so do you and I. She needed forgiveness of sins, so do you and I. She needed peace that surpasses understanding, so do you and I. She needed unconditional love, so do you and I. She needed purpose, so do you and I. She needed true, rooted fulfilling joy so do you and I and she kept trying other places empty places that would lead to her being frustrated instead of worshipful she finally meets the savior and he starts something in her heart based off meeting her real needs and the response from having her needs met by Jesus is worship And so it's very hard to grow in worship when you keep going to other places to fulfill your needs. How can I cultivate worship in my heart if I only ask God to do something Sunday morning? How can I become a person of worship when God is my second, third, or fourth best option after I've tried the thing I'd prefer to work out? How can I cultivate a heart of worship when I keep going from person to person, job to job, drink to drink, computer to computer, while all the while the Lord has designed me that he would be the one who meets my needs? To cultivate a heart of worship as we gather on a Sunday is to bring together a group of people who are seeking the Lord to meet their needs Monday through Saturday. And then those people come together on Sunday, broken as we are, not doing that perfectly at all, but in complete agreement that Jesus is the living water we need this morning. I can't say this enough, and I try to diminish my role as much as possible. You don't need a good sermon. And I hope I can do that for you at some level. You need the Lord. And so as much as I can facilitate you meeting the Lord, then I've done my job. But you don't need, like, cool things. You need to meet with the Lord. You need to, you need to hear from him. But what, how that's going to happen more for you is if you're engaging with the Lord all week. And then you come here, and it's just, it just right. You're just more present with who he is. You know, like, you're like, oh, yeah, this smells right. This tastes right. I've been kind of experiencing this all week. But it gets magnified because I'm with other people who have experienced that, who the spirit is working in a special way as we gather. And so it starts in my heart, and then it goes out from my heart to your heart to your heart. And then as we gather together, our hearts are in agreement, and something powerful happens. But the living water that you need every day is Jesus. And the more you go to him to satisfy, not only to forgive your sins, which is the most important thing, but to also to satisfy every felt need that you have. When when you go to him, you're going to cultivate a heart of worship. You're going to grow in your worship to Jesus. Now, what Jesus is also doing here is he's beginning to reveal, and we'll see more clearly throughout the rest of the New Testament, How when Jesus dies and rises again, and the veil is torn in the temple, the the person of Jesus, is the he's the one who moves the place of worship from a temple to a heart. So Jesus is saying, you're right to say in one sense, worship was located based off a, a geographical location and a temple, in Judea and a temple. And now Jesus is saying, that's not all the way wrong. It's just not true anymore. Because now that I am here, worship goes from a temple to the heart. 
It goes from a practice religion to a relationship with God. And that's what Jesus does. He moves worship from an external location to a heart. And I wonder for how many of us that has happened yet when we go to church to worship and Jesus is saying it's not just church where you worship. It's in your heart. It's in your heart. It's in your heart. It's not about a location. It's not about a building. It's not about a time slot in a week. Those things are important, and as we say all the time, this is a, not a landing place, but a launching pad. And the reason for that is because it's to send you out as a worshiper every day of the week. And you come back in here and you get sent out as a worshiper every day of the week. But Jesus moved the place of worship from an external location to an inward reality based on the heart. So therefore, part of worshiping in spirit means that my heart is fully alive and engaged with God. It is not simply to go through the motions, but for my heart to be connected to and alive to the realities of who God is and what he has done in my life. And to hear someone say, uh, like Brendan read earlier, like the, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from us. And for my heart to say yes and amen and my feelings to come alive to that truth. I can't hear that and say, well, that's cool. What's for lunch? You know, I... That, if I'm doing that, that means my heart is not engaged. Now listen, once again, this is the goal. Obviously, we struggle with this. And the Lord isn't expecting you to just 100% be fully engaged every time. We have sin. We have struggles. We, we come in with burdens. But this is what we're moving towards. And this is the truth that ought to refine your evaluation of your engagement with God. To say that the Lord expects me to be engaged from my heart. And to worship him is to worship him from the inside out. It's to worship him with passion, zeal, vigor, fervor. It's to be fully fully alive and fully engaged with God. And that's what I'm growing towards every day. That's what I'm working towards every day, that my heart would be fully alive to the reality of who God is. That's how you grow in worship, which is why every day of your life and you being a person who engages the word of God and is in a lighthouse with other Christians and who's growing to go serve, and to, all of these things matter because you're creating habits to engage your heart to God. And as you create habits of engagement with God, you become a person who is more connected to God. Here's the encouraging truth is that you can be closer to God in experience than you are right now. Your status will never change in Christ. Christ has done all of the work to get you access to God, and that doesn't change. But your experience of those truths does change. And you could experience a greater, more intimate, passionate, fully alive relationship with God than the one you have right now. And that's true for all of us. Which, once again, isn't a burden on your back. It's an opportunity in front of you. It's not a do better next time. It's look what you can be. Look what you can experience. Your heart can be fully alive to God by the work of the Holy Spirit. But this is the evaluation. Worship starts in the heart. Worship is about what's happening in my spirit towards God. The second thing is that worship is a response to the truth. So this is very important. Because the heart, as the scripture says, is deceitful. And so Jesus provides the perfect balance. There is a subjective 
personal to you experience with God that you ought to be having that is yours, not mine. At the same time, there is an objective truth outside of yourself that we're all working with that is refining what the inside of myself is feeling and doing. I cannot base my whole relationship to God or my life off of the inside of myself. Worship is a response to the truth. So it starts in the heart, and your subjective, personal-to-you experience with God is very important and something you ought to be cultivating and evaluating. But at the same time, it isn't the final metric or determinative force as to what does it mean to be a worshiper because worship is a response to the truth. Because everybody in the world worships, it's just a matter of if they're worshiping the truth. Everybody is a worshiper. The whole world is a worshiper. You were made to be a worshiper, and everybody in the whole world is telling you that your heart, you should follow your heart. And so for worship to start in your heart can go completely the wrong way if it's not a response to the truth. We must worship in spirit and in truth. The truth about who God is. The truth about what God has done. The truth about what does the word say about this or that. The truth about who I am and what I really need. Here's something for you to write down. This is important. Worship is inside out. But truth is outside in. And you are being discipled every day by the world to believe the opposite. Worship is inside out. It comes from my spirit to God's spirit. Truth is outside in. Truth is something irrelevant to you and your personal experiences in life. Truth does not change based off how you feel or your experience of it. It is objective, which means it is true no matter what. True whether you believe it. You stopping believing the truth doesn't make the truth not true anymore. You saying God doesn't exist doesn't make God go away. That's not how this works. The truth is true no matter what you think or how you feel or your circumstances in life or your experiences. Worship is inside out, and I evaluate much of my worship on whether my heart is fully alive to God. At the same time, truth is outside in, and so truth does not come from the inside, which is the exact opposite of what you're told every day. Every day of your life, you are being discipled by every other person or thing in the world outside of Christianity to believe that to find the truth means I look inside of myself, and to be true to myself is to be the most authentic version of myself I can find. And for me to find the truth, I must continually search inside of my heart, and for me to finally find fulfillment, I must express what I find inside of my heart. Every day, you are told that what's true for you is the truth, and it doesn't matter what it affects or means for anyone else because you must live true to yourself. Truth the world teaches you is inside out. Truth comes from within. Truth comes from how you feel. Truth comes from what you were born like. Truth comes from the things you prefer. Truth comes from all from inside. You must look inside. And the world and those who follow that teaching are dying every single day because when you worship yourself, you must bear the burden of being God. You see how that works? Okay. If I'm going to look inside of my heart for truth, then I become what God must be. All of a sudden, I have turned my 
personal little self into an objective truth that the whole world must orient themselves around. I look inside of myself for truth, and then I bear the burdens of being God, and then I must have the living water that I need. Don't you see how awful that is? And you guys have experienced that. Those of you who are in the room who haven't followed Christ yet, that's where you are right now. That's why things are so frustrating for you. That's where so many of you are because you're trying to follow Jesus, sort of, but you're still looking for living water inside of yourself. And so it's not working out. You're bearing the burdens of being God. And so often, like in marriage counseling, we'll tell people, okay, you can't expect from the other person what only God can give you. This is very frustrating in a marriage for you to expect the other person to satisfy you completely. You're asking them to be God, and that's going to crumble. It's not going to work out. That's true for anything in life, but nobody thinks about it towards yourself. You're asking yourself for things you can't give yourself. You're asking yourself to fulfill yourself. You're asking yourself to satisfy yourself. You're asking yourself to bring perfect joy, peace, and purpose to your life. You're asking yourself to forgive the sins of yourself. When you look inside of yourself for the truth, then you bear the burden of being God. And although that might sound nice for a moment, because everybody wants to be in control and to be God, it's an awful thing to try to live out. Because you can't be God. Because the the objective truth that you must deal with is that you are not God. That there is only one God. And we all must bow before him. Worship is inside out. But truth is outside in. This is very important. So that's why this right here is objective to all of us. You can say, but this is how I grew up. This is how I feel. But this is how I'm used to doing things. Okay, cool. But let's, what does this say? And then that's why there's unity is we all come in here and we just say, what does the word say? And I don't care what Pastor Nate thinks. You should not care what I think. Zero, you should care what God thinks. And if I tell you what God thinks, then you should care about that. You shouldn't care about my personal preferences about how things go. No, no, no. What does the word say? And that's why everything we try to do around here is built off that. What does the word say about the Holy Spirit? How do we engage with him? What does the word say about the work of Christ? How do we emphasize the gospel? What does the word say about what God expects of us, our identity in him all the time? This is what we're trying to do. And so now you come in, there can be agreement and unity because nobody's bringing in their personal preferences as God. We're all coming together and saying, well, this is the Lord. This is what the Lord has said. It is is objective to you and to me, and so now we're going to sit under it and agree that truth comes from outside in. And so instead of me saying, here's my truth, what does the Bible have to do with that? Saying, well, here's the Bible's truth, what does my life have to do with that? Here's what the Bible says, that's true. I need to align my heart to that, the end, period. It's over at that point. And for us to always say, well, let me evaluate what the Bible says based off my experience in life. That's a dangerous road. For me to say, let me evaluate what the Bible says based off how I feel, based off my preference. No. You don't find the truth inside of yourself. I think I'm going to spend the rest of my life emphasizing this message because the the world is telling you the exact opposite, and I think it's just going to get worse. 
it's going to become more true to the world that you find truth inside of yourself because if you don't believe in God, you gotta go somewhere. <laughs> and if you really want, your, you, know, you gotta go somewhere, so you're gonna go inside of yourself. And you need to be aware of how the world is teaching you this every day. Worship is inside out. It comes from the heart, it starts in the heart, but truth is outside in. This is why sincerity of heart isn't enough. There's a phrase in the Bible when, when it says you have zeal without knowledge. So we're not just trying to cultivate passion, sincerity of heart, authenticity, uh, expressive worship, that's right. But that's not the goal necessarily because sincerity of heart isn't enough. But your passion and your zeal and your affection must be directed by the truth. Otherwise, it's going to lead you to the wrong place. And so in one sense, it doesn't matter how strongly you believe or feel something if it isn't true. It's going to direct your heart to the wrong place. So trying to be sincere, right? Because remember, once again, you are discipled every day by the world to think authenticity and sincerity of heart is the goal. But that's not the goal. The goal is submission to the Lord. And may my heart be sincere in accordance with his truth. Not sincere just for sincerity's sake. Here's something important for you as you learn not only how to worship uh, in a gathering like this, but how to live your life as an act of worship, is that the truth sets me free, not my level of sincerity. Now this is wonderful, 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 because... We struggle so hard to be fully sincere and connected. And if we're honest, we could come into a gathering like this and say, I don't feel very like present. I don't feel very sincere. I feel like a hypocrite. I've had this horrible week. I'm not walking with the Lord. And you come into a gathering, and if your hope is built on your level of sincerity, passion, and zeal for you to engage, you're hopeless. But if something outside of you can come in and change you, then you come into a place and you get yourself ready for that. Because it's the truth that sets me free, not my level of sincerity. Jesus said, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So this is so great, because here's what's happening at the same time. God is so wonderful. He's so just perfectly everything. You come in and you say, well, the goal is for my heart to be fully alive to God, to be sincere and zealous in my worship for him. You say, that's what I want. But as I walk in here, I'm so far away from that. I'm so far away from that. And so I'm just going to pretend, you know, I'm just, yeah, yeah, yeah. just going to act, I'm just going to act the part. And hopefully my level of sincerity will set me free to do this. Or you say this about me, I really want to fix my marriage. I really want to stop doing that particular bad habit. But here I am to tell you that your level of sincerity will not be the thing that sets you free. It will not be the intensity of your desire or the level of your commitment, but it will be the truth. This is why Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. And that truth from that word will set you free. This is very, very, 
Very important. Because so many of you are trying to be set free from things in your life by your level of sincerity, commitment, and devotion to being free. Or to fixing the thing that has gone wrong. Or to restoring. And listen, a level of commitment and sincerity is obviously important, but it is not the powerful thing. It's the truth. And so now we become a people who abide in the word of God. And because we know the word, we know the truth. And so hear me, please, please, please. You will not be able to worship by and in the spirit if you don't commit yourself to the word of God because you will not, you'll do what Jesus said. You worship what you don't know. And I think he even means that with the character of God to say, well, you might know intellectually the truth that God is good, but you haven't been giving yourself over to abiding in the word. And so you don't really know it. And so when you come in here and a group of people say God is good, you don't really know it deep down in your heart. And so you're not able to worship with a heart fully alive to the truth that God is good because you intellectually agree, but you haven't been abiding in the word. And so you're not set free free to give yourself fully to that. You see what I'm saying? It's being committed to the word of God that roots you in the truth over and 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 over again so that you begin to know the truth deep down within your heart and then you begin to be set free. This is how it works. And because you are not committed to the word of God, then you do not know the truth. And because you do not know the truth, you can't worship in spirit. And because you can't worship in spirit, your heart is dead. You know, I see this over and over and over and over. I see it in my heart, first and foremost, 100%. I see it in my heart. I see it in my habits. So I'll be the first one to say. But I see it in pastoral counseling. I see it in the way that we learn and grow and the things that we do. It's all backwards. The goal of the Bible is not for you to have something to do devotionally for a few minutes a day. You know, it's not um, good advice or like a nice way to live. The goal of the Bible is so you know the truth. It's like a sponge, you know, like if I put a sponge in water, if I'd have thought about this ahead of time, I would have had it right here, but I didn't. This is coming to me in the moment. But if I had a, if I had a sponge and I just dipped it in the water real quick, a little, you know, and then I brought it back out. You had to have a little bit of water, squeeze it, and a little bit of water would come out. And I think that's what many of us have settled for, is we're like the sponge, and we just dip ourselves in the word. And you pull it out, and there's a little bit of truth, but it's not soaked, you know? And because most of the sponge is dry, there's room for something else to come in. So there's like 10% of it that's wet. But 90% of it has open space. And then you look at a bucket full of something tempting, and you dip yourself a little bit in that. Then you look at something else, well, the world says, I dip myself a little bit of that. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, when you squeeze you, you're the sponge, most of what comes out is not the truth. Simply because you haven't been abiding in the word. 
This is why I say all the time, man shall not live by sermons alone. This sermon is going to fill your sponge like 2%, you know? You dip your toe in it, and I hope it helps you. But you've got to abide in the word of God if you want to be soaking with the truth. So that when you, look what happens though. When you come in here and you're squeezed by this environment, worship comes out. You see what I'm saying? And then somebody else sees it, you know? They're like, oh, yeah. And they're squeezing. Worship comes out. And then imagine if all of us are abiding in the word of God all the time. We come in here and this environment squeezes us and it just explodes with the truth, not with your feelings. You see what I'm saying? So expression in worship isn't about your feelings. It's about your response to the truth. You know, when I squeeze you, how much truth pops out? Are you soaking in the truth? Are you abiding in the word of God? It is the truth that sets you free. And so look, this is why that works for your sin habits too. If I soak myself in the word of God, there's a lot less room for something else to get in my sponge. And so I begun to set free. I just, the reason I get set free from sin is because I soak myself in the word and there's no more room left in my sponge for what the world tells me is good. There's no room left. My sponge is full, soaked up. And so now I become free. And because I'm free, I come to an environment of worship thankful. You know what I'm saying? Victorious. Not that I'm perfect, but I experience the truth of the Bible as real in my life. And that fires me up because God isn't just true on Sunday mornings. He's true every day. And if you're walking with the Lord and experiencing that over and over again, it's just like a relationship. When the person proves faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful and committed and committed and committed and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and loving and loving and loving. And when you abide in that healthy relationship over and over and over and over again, your love grows and something healthy begins to blossom and your heart becomes fully alive to that other person because day after day after day, the habits have been put in and now your heart is fully alive. This wasn't even a sermon about the Bible, but it turned into one because, because, because it is our level of commitment to the truth and our abiding in the truth practically on a daily basis that is going to direct and determine the outcome of our worship. And so the goal would be for us to be soaking ourselves in the word of God. And you come in here and you get squeezed, you know, and you just pour out truth to the person next to you. This is when the don't spectate, participate culture comes in. And part of the question is, how much do you have to give? Because if you've just been dipping your toe in the word of God, then you're going to be a little bit helpful to others around you. But if you've been soaking yourself in the word of God and somebody comes over and you says, I need your help, then out comes the word and the truth. And we do that to one another. This gathering on a Sunday morning becomes healing, life-transforming, helpful, truthful, sincere, and it changes. So... 
Now, this is what Jesus offers this woman at the well, freedom, okay? He says, the truth will set you free. He offers her the truth. She receives it. She responds in worship. This is what God is offering many of you today, maybe watching online or here in the room, that you would finally know the truth and that believing the truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus has died and risen again to save your soul, your commitment and belief in that is going to be the thing that sets you free. You've already tried to look for truth on the inside, and you know it hasn't worked, and so stop trying to keep doing that. Trust in the Lord. Here's a, another aspect of this, is that truth in the head should create a fire in the heart. Okay? So for my theological, like, seminary-type people, you know, Truth in the head should create a fire in the heart. And if the truth in my head is not creating a fire in the heart, then something has gone wrong with the habits of my life. Truth in the head should create a fire in the heart. And the more truth that you give yourself to, the more fire you will have. So if I give myself to a little truth, I'll have a little bit of fire. But if I abide in the truth, I will be a bonfire, you know what I'm saying? Part of the question is, how much do you want to burn for Jesus? Do you, want, do you really want to be on fire for the Lord? Do you really want a heart fully alive to God? Because it's not confusing how to get there. It's blatantly obvious. The question is whether we're committed to that and whether we really want that. Okay, finally, here's the third truth. Worship is what God is looking for. So worship starts in the heart. Worship is a response to the truth, and worship is what God is looking for. Look at this. It says, and such are those whom the Father is seeking. So those who worship in spirit and truth, the Lord is looking for those kinds of people. And hear me, the Lord is looking for those kinds of churches. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Oh, come on now. So this is what really gets you going, is to say, all right, all right, the Lord is actively looking on the earth, finding people and churches that have hearts fully alive to him with people that are committed to worship in the spirit and according to the truth, with a group of people that abide in the word of God, with a group of people that have put their preferences down, with a group of people that are committed to the gospel. And the Lord's looking and looking and he's saying, where am I welcome to show my power? And the prayer and the goal is that this would be a place that welcomes the power of the Lord, that he would look upon city light and say, those people are the kind of people who worship in spirit and in truth. Therefore, I will show them my strong support. This is the essence of being a fruitful ministry in a fruitful church. This is why we pray. This is why we do Restore every Thursday and we're committed to the presence of God. This is why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting because we will not reach this city because our programs were good or our staff was nice or we were talented and had enough money. We will reach this city and your life will change if the Lord looks upon us and says, those are my kind of people Watch me work. 
That's how this gets done. And I have to say that over and over and over again because we have talent, we have resources, we have a building, and things are going well. And if we're not careful, we begin to rely on those things. When all the while, we begin praying in empty rooms, asking the Lord to work. And this is what we must continually be. The Lord is looking for a group of people who gather to worship in spirit and truth. And whether our Sunday mornings are defined by spirit and truth is whether your Monday through Saturday is defined by spirit and truth. Remember, if you don't use it, we lose it. And if you come in with a heart fully alive to God, I bet I can even preach some bad sermons and you guys would be fully excited about the Lord Jesus, you know. They could miss all the wrong notes. You'd be like, yes, Lord, amen. And the fire that gets cooking when we gather is brought, is created, because each one of you brought your stick to it, you know? And we all just put it in and we watch the Lord. Therefore, a Sunday morning experience is not built off of a sermon or a worship band or a hospitality team or a kid's ministry. It's built off of you. And hear me this, if you, the more participation from us, the more participation we get from God. And that's a wonderful thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. Make us a people who worship in spirit and in truth. Make us a people who abide in the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would set our hearts fully alive to you. And would you continue to cultivate what you're working on right now in the midst of us, Lord. We submit ourselves fully to the work of your spirit according to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you all stand? Let's respond to the Lord.